0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Any worshipers in the building today? Come on. Anybody grateful for the goodness and the mercy and the presence of King Jesus? anybody realize your alarm clock didn't wake you up this morning the breath of the Holy Ghost woke you up this morning God's been good and sometimes we don't know how to value what we have if we don't know what it costs there are times where my parents would kindly remind me of what it cost for me to be in private school <laughs> what it costs the presence of God cost Jesus every drop of blood in his body for us to be in the same space as the Holy Spirit meant that Jesus had to give his life so we never treat the presence of God casual every time the presence of the Lord is in the room we honor his presence we love his presence not just because of the presence but but because of what the presence costs so come on, can somebody give God a shot of praise today? God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for life. Thank you for breath. Thank you for hope. Come on, when I was depressed, you brought me out of darkness. When I was anxious, you brought order to my life. When I was confused, you brought clarity. When I was, when I was a wretch undone in my sin, you sent your son to die for me. And I love you. So God, we give this service to you. Holy Ghost, we ask if you would move up and down the aisles. Do what only you can do. God, what good is it if we've got lights and screens and AC and chairs, but we don't have you? God, we want to have you. So God, we ask that, uh, that you would speak today. We don't want anybody leaving today saying, man, that guest speaker did a good job. We want everyone to leave saying, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. But God, I've got a sermon, but you've got a message so god i ask that you would speak loud and clear today god where there's confusion bring clarity we prophesy right now to every ear we say be open to every eye we say see and to every hardened heart come on because life hardens our heart we say be soft miraculously in the name of jesus in the name of the lord we pray come on and we all say together amen 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 go ahead grab a seat high five your neighbor tell them they look good even if they don't we speak those things that be not as though they were i'm really really excited to be an adjunct professor for lsm if you had told me a couple years ago that i'd be on this journey i would have told you that you were confused uh but in 2020 there were hundreds of young adults that started deconstructing and leaving The church that I was a part of in North Carolina at the time. And uh, there were pastors all across the country who were responding to young adults kind of deconstructing and leaving the church in all kinds of ways. And there was a temptation to kind of blame those young adults or to ostracize them. And I decided, you know, leaders don't point fingers. Leaders make things happen. Leaders create solutions. Okay. And so we started a platform called ARMA to help people. And I, I really wanted to help people with a Pentecostal persuasion, uh, cause there's a polarization in the kingdom where the Baptist folks love the Bible and the Pentecostals love the Holy ghost, but the Bible is inspired by the Holy spirit. And so we actually need to bridge that gap and we need some Pentecostals who are biblically literate. Hello. And so I started this journey, and instead of blaming all these young adults for deconstructing, I did a hard thing. I did something that I didn't really want to do, but the Lord told me to obey, and uh, I went back to school. And so I'm currently uh, a couple of months away from being Dr. Manny Arango. Went to school to get my doctorate. Now let me give you some context. Everybody say context. Context is key. Let me give you context for why me getting my doctorate is such a big deal. My father was incarcerated for 18 years, took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My mother was pregnant at 12, didn't just drop out of high school, dropped out of middle school. Was pregnant at 12, had my older sister at 13, was pregnant again at 14, had my older brother at 15. Three of my aunts are prostitutes, five of my uh, uncles are alcoholics. Everybody in my family is either poor. I mean trapped in poverty or trapped in confusion, trapped in depression, and trapped in a generational stronghold. I'm the first Arango to get a bachelor's degree. I'm the first Arango to get a master's degree. On June 8th, 2024, I'll be the first Arango with a doctorate. I'm the first Arango to own property. I'm the first Arango to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and declare the goodness of God. The first Arango to be healthy and functional Because there is no generational curse stronger than the blood of Jesus. We declare whatever the enemy meant for your harm, God can turn it around. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. There is no excuse. I don't care who your mama is. I don't care who your daddy is. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Now you see... How when I told you I was getting my doctorate with no context, you were like, oh, that's cute. But the moment I added, come on, the moment I added, I'm black, so you got to talk back to me. Okay. The moment I added, you were able to appreciate the text. You were able to appreciate the content of what I said, because I gave them you proper context for what I said. It's funny because I don't know if anybody's ever been taken out of context. Oh, what's the most frustrating thing in the planet? Has anybody ever been quoted and somebody gossiped about you, and then somebody came back to you and told you, like I heard you said, and you wanted to say with everything in you, if you knew the if you knew the context of why I said that? You know what I said, but you don't know what I mean by what I said because you lack context. Context. I I, I was taken out of context recently, and and sometimes I say this and people cheer, but it it is really miserable. I went viral on Instagram. Okay? I went viral. Woo! Over a million views on a video on Instagram, and we are living currently in a culture of clips, not context. We're living in a culture of a 60 second reel. Nobody's going to the website and doing the YouTube sermon and figuring out what somebody actually said. No, we don't care about context. We just care about the clip, okay? And so in the clip, uh, I I was talking about seed. And I was saying that you always reap where you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap after you sow. And you reap not just what you sow, but you reap where you sow. Now everybody, ooh, this went viral. And all the comments, look at this prosperity gospel preacher. I can't believe he probably took up an offering after he said this. This is ridiculous. And if they had had some context, they would have knew that I was at a church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was doing an entire sermon about time, how time is a seed. And you have to be careful that you don't sow more seed, gentlemen, at your job than at your home, because time is a seed. And had they listened to the context, they would have known I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, and I didn't take up an offering. But we live in a culture that lacks context. But we love a clip, though anybody's ever been taken out of context you understand the frustration of being taken out of context there were too many comments for me to respond to by the time it had gone viral there was no point it was just it was out there and i wanted to scream i wanted to make a new reel like for all of you ignorant people who think you know everything all these all these gangsters behind a phone you know what i'm saying uh say it to my face you know um I wanted to scream at them and say, You don't know the context. You know, if there's anybody who's more frustrated than you or I being taken out of context, oh, it's God. Oh, we love taking God out of context. <laughs> oh, whew, I can do all things through Christ's strength in me. You know what I'm saying? I can, I can walk in here in Starbucks and get this latte. I can do anything. You know what I'm saying? I can I, just take God out of context all day long. God told me that, man, my husband, he just taking God out of context. You know what I'm saying? God just saying all kinds of stuff. Uh, if there's anybody who's frustrated at being taken out of context, it's God. And without context, the Bible can say all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, without context, you, you the Bible just once time i was somewhere at a church and and you're a real fundamentalist pastor he he was well-meaning but you know i wish he had gone to seminary but it's okay uh he said we just let you just gotta let the bible speak for itself and i was like okay let's let the bible speak it say don't let women talk i love it (laughs) every church needs to do this it's the best this is awesome Kids said, amen. Amen. (laughs) Let's go. Without context, without context, Paul straight up says, yeah, women shouldn't talk in church, but you know what? Let's back it up and give some in context, he's talking to a man by the name of Timothy who lives in a city known as Ephesus. And Ephesus, if you do some historical analysis and get some context for the words that Paul is saying, uh, Timothy lives in a city called Ephesus, and Ephesus is known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because it was the home of a place known as the Artemisium. The Artemisium was kind of like a creation museum, but it was also the temple of the goddess Artemis. The goddess Artemis was the goddess of fertility, childbearing, and chastity. And in order to follow Artemis, you had to be a woman. No men teachers were allowed to practice in the temple of Artemis. It was a radical form of feminism. And not only did you have to worship Artemis, uh, but you also had to have your hair braided in a particular pattern to show that you had allegiance to Artemis and you had to be a high status woman in Ephesus. No poor women, no high status women. And they taught that women were created first not men. Oh, these women then wander from the Artemisium because the gospel should reach everybody, even people who are initially opposed to it. Oh, these women, these high status women with their braided hair and their gold jewelry, who had some weird thoughts about gender, began to come to Timothy's church. And when they began to come to Timothy's church, they had something to say. They thought that the status that they had at the Artemisium transferred to the church. And so Paul had some particular things to say to these women in this city at that time the first thing he had to say is "Mm -mm, mm, no more braided hair that is not to say that all my black sisters with box braids is in sin that means that the context of Paul saying don't have no braided hair is that you're confusing people if you're actually a Christian your hair braided in this pattern shows your allegiance to Artemis but if you're now having allegiance to King Jesus there should be nothing that should confuse people about whose team you're really playing for in context When Paul says, hey, men were created first, then women. He ain't telling them, get in your place. He's telling them, no, 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 I'm correcting the heretical teachings from the temple of Artemis. And then, ooh, Paul, straight out of 1958, okay, says, and don't you know, women will be saved by childbearing. Now, this is my favorite, okay, because this is where every woman want to slap Paul upside his head. Like, how dare you say we're going to be saved through childbearing. What you trying to say, Paul? Well, we got to put Paul in... When you put Paul in context, here was the fear of all of these women with their braided hair and their gold jewelry that had wandered from the Artemisium and then started coming to to Timothy's church in Ephesus. Guess what their biggest fear was? The goddess Artemis was known for what? Fertility, childbearing, and chastity. They thought that because they had dishonored their allegiance to Artemis, that Artemis would let them die in childbearing. So all of these women were not having sex with their husband and not having children because they thought that Artemis would be out for vengeance so Paul says to them it is not Artemis that will keep you safe when you are giving birth to children it is the creator alone that will actually bring salvation to you when you give birth to children isn't it crazy how a passage of scripture with no context some of you church hurt and the reason you church hurt ain't even because God said something It's because a denomination that took a passage out of context said something. So now you've been living your whole life mad at Paul when Paul ain't even say that. If you knew the context, you'd be like, I can totally see why Paul would say that. When I was a youth pastor, I had a rule in my youth group for the youth leaders in my youth ministry that came from fraternities and sororities. Hey, when you come here, I don't want any of your fraternity or sorority paraphernalia in the room because we're not leading young men and women to a fraternity or a sorority. We're trying to lead them to Jesus. I'm not saying your fraternity is bad. I'm not saying your sorority is bad. But if I put you on a platform and say you're a leader, then that means I'm whatever you market, I'm saying is okay. So I need you to to take the frat jacket off when you are here. In the same way, Paul is trying to pastor real people at a real church with a real context, <laughs> context. It changes everything. If you don't know the family I come from, then me getting my doctorate doesn't really have power. Even though the truth is the truth, the truth has to be placed in context for you to appreciate it. The truth, the truth, the truth is that Paul has something to say. And we know that Paul has something very, very different to say to another group of women. Paul just loves telling women to be quiet, is you know, he's a problem that he has. And he tells his women in Corinth to be quiet. But he has something very, very different to say. He says, hey, don't interrupt the preacher when he's talking. Instead, go home and talk to your husband husband and get your husband to explain the Bible to you. Now we in church go, how dare Paul tell women to talk to their husband? But in the first century the women wouldn't have been the people mad in church that day. The husbands would have been the people mad. Because here's some historical context. The average age for a man to get married was 35 years old. The average age for a woman to be married was 13 years old. And no no Gentile in a Greco-Roman society received education as a female past the age of 13. Which meant that a man in a Greco-Roman society who's 35 years old, married to a 14-year-old girl, has an interest, a vested incentive to keep her in ignorant to not let her read, to not answer her theological questions, and Paul says you better not keep your wife ignorant. It is your responsibility to make sure that your wife is intelligent enough to come to church and ask good questions. Isn't it crazy? Without context, this sounds repressive, but with context, we can go, oh, God has had a plan not to repress women, but to reveal the intelligence and the glory that's been in women all over along ain't it crazy how in context what seemed like it was old-fashioned looks revolutionary when you're able to put it in a context and appreciate what the bible actually has to say context context now i know we're pentecostal so we assume as long as i got the holy ghost god what does this mean to me God, give me a word. <laughs> tell me what you want to say to me. <laughs> and I would tell you that there's exegesis, exegesis putting the text in context, eisegesis taking the text out of context, then there's narcissis. I don't care what Paul meant in context. I don't care about none of this history. I just want to know what God wants to say to me. And if you read the Bible like a narcissist, ooh, You will never actually get the results that you want to get. God will never actually be able to talk to you about your life until you first uncover the original meaning to the original audience and the author's original intention. Oh, I need somebody to give God a good amen in church. So we are going to preach today about that was my introduction. This is why black church lasts so long. (laughs) anybody ever go to a black church come on it's like black church don't plan on watching no game on a sunday don't just if you there you there you know what i'm saying so uh i'm a black people make some noise let's go that was open for people who are black or feel black okay i just (laughs) left it open um we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna deal with a very 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 popular passage of scripture david slaying goliath but we are actually going to put it in context. David kills Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He goes from anonymity to fame. He goes from a shepherd to being on the trajectory to becoming king in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the hinge point for him becoming a shepherd, going from being a shepherd to becoming king, is this uh, face-to-face encounter with the giant known as Goliath. But I'm afraid that for many of us in church, you have probably heard a hundred sermons on Goliath. But today is going to be the day where we finally put this passage in context so instead of starting in first samuel chapter 17 we're gonna back 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 it up to first samuel chapter 13. and before we even go to first samuel chapter 13 who loves pastor lyle and allison phillips my gosh the most kind generous faith-filled leaders that i know i love preaching here because i love your church but i love y'all thank you for calling me friend we love you we love you the kids over here the send-off i almost cried while we did the send-off i'm like i don't even know these people why am i crying it feels like family in here because of y'all so we love you come on context first Samuel chapter 13 let's do this first Samuel chapter 13 we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13, which is four chapters before the passage we're actually going to get to. Because part of the way that you study context is you don't just pluck a verse. You actually read the chapter. You read the book. You figure out what is the context. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to start reading in verse 19. If there's a word that I don't say, then that's your opportunity to say the word that I don't say. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19, it says this. Not a could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines. the Philistines, come on, the Philistines are the enemy of the people of God, right? If the, if the Israelites are the protagonist, the Philistines are the antagonist, okay? If, if, if the Israelites are the hero, the, the Philistines, they are the villain, okay? The Philistines, what do the Philistines say? Otherwise, we got to take away the blacksmiths, otherwise the Hebrews will make what? Sword. Or... And it says so. All Israel went down to the Philistines and have their plow points, mattocks and axes and sickle sharpened. They didn't even trust these homies with, with farm tools. They were like, Mm-mm. <laughs> "You will, you will grab a shovel and kill us if we, if we, if we leave you here with a blacksmith." Uh, and then let's just skip all the way down to verse twenty-two of chapter thirteen. It says this: So on the day of the, on the day of the what? Not. A soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Context the first thing that I want to say before we even really dive into the context is this that the Philistines are not content to simply defeat the people of God Oh, the the Philistines have defeated the Israelites they've defeated them they have won a victory they have defeated them but they are not content to simply defeat them oh no they must disarm them of all of their weapons if they don't disarm them then they understand that their victory over them will never be permanent and 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 they can't just defeat them they have to disarm them this actually tells us a secret for how the enemy attacks you now the Pharisees in the room you are dismissed but for all the real people who have been defeated by your flesh a time or two all the real people who have been defeated by some anxieties defeated by some doubt defeated by some fear defeated by some lust I'm preaching to you because the enemy may have defeated you with some secret sin or some issue but whether or not he disarms you is gonna be up to you the enemy may have defeated you but he will not disarm you I wonder if I'm preaching to anybody today that is. Declared, Oh, I'm armed and dangerous. I understand that the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are powerful, full of pulling down of strongholds. And I may not be able to control whether or not the enemy always defeats me, but I can't control whether or not he's going to disarm me. Cause I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me. Every single time I walk into the presence of the Lord, there's almost like this little shame. This is that's like the enemy likes to remind me that I don't deserve to be in his presence. That that, that, that don't lift your hands too big. You don't draw no attention to yourself. Cause really, you know what I'm saying, yeah, you, you remember what you did. But but, but 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 I got some news for you. Uh, even though I'm defeated, even though I may lose some battles, I I, 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 I can't be disarmed. I, I will not never walk into God's presence full of shame with my head held low oh no 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 baby I understand I have a weapon and it's called worship I've got a weapon and it's called praise that I came to church today to give God my best praise and every time the devil tells me about my past I will remind him of his future that he's a defeated foe that he's under my feet that he is forever a toothless lion that Jesus has had all victory. Defeated but not disarmed. Defeated but not disarmed. I love this because oh the angels, the angels, they in heaven. Mm-hmm. Them angels, they can sing. They can sing better than anybody that was on this stage earlier today. They can sing. They can sing. They can sing. Not only can they sing good, they don't need no mics. They don't need no master. They don't need nobody to master. It, they don't. They don't need no dubs. They don't need no. no they don't need nothing. They don't need no producer. They don't, and they can sing nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just holy, holy, holy. They can sing the same thing for a long time. They don't get tired. They don't need no new lyrics. They just sing. Can sing in octaves I can't even get to. They just can sing. Can sing, but they can't worship like we can worship. They can sing. They can sing, but they can't worship because no angel has ever had to worship for the blood because the first time an angel fell the first time an angel sinned God said you don't get no second chance but the first time Adam fell God said oh I'll I'll sell everything I'll put my son on a cross to get him back no angel has ever had to praise for the blood no angel has ever had to praise for a second chance or a third chance no angel has ever had to worship for some grace or some mercy oh I wonder is there Anybody today that can say I may have been defeated but I know how to give God praise from a defeated place I may be depressed but I'm gonna give God praise I may be anxious but I'm gonna give God praise I may be stuck in a secret sinful habit but I'm still gonna give God some praise the enemy will not disarm me defeated maybe Disarmed? Never, never, never. It's funny, because I had a friend, I had a friend, I moved to the south. I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, but then I moved to the south, I moved down her. Gained like 35 pounds and I moved down her. You know what I'm saying? Just started started hugging people, Just saying hi to strangers, you know what I'm saying? Just got nice, repented from snow, just came on down her, you know what I'm saying? But the biggest cultural difference is that everybody got guns down her. I'd never seen a gun, Zena. I'd never seen a gun. I ain't never, never seen one. In Boston, I'd never seen one. If you live in Boston and you own a gun, it means you police officer or you're in a gang. Serial number scratched off, you know what I'm saying? But then I moved down, down to the South. Everybody and their mom-in-law got a gun down her. And so I'm at my friend Anderson's house, and Anderson wanted to show me all nine of his guns. I saw my first nine guns in the same day. I had never seen no guns, saw all nine of my first guns, same day. Okay, Anderson had a gun for his ankle, his hip, his wife's pocketbook. He had a a hunting rifle because I learned we eat Bambi down her. You know what I'm saying? That's what we do. And so, and so, and then he had a shotgun and I was very confused. I didn't understand if Anderson was threatening me or offering help. I don't know. I just didn't know. I was like, are you going to kill me? (laughs) Or are you saying that if you ever get into a jam, I'm the dude to call? I just didn't know. I was very, very confused. My northern brain was glitching. It's like, I just don't know. And I asked him, I was like, why you got this shotgun? Like, of all of of them, this one just seems just just ridiculous and large and just unnecessary. And he said, well, actually, this is the most important one. Because if anybody was ever trying to break into my house, if anybody was tinkering with my locks, if there was an intruder on the outside of my house trying to break into my house, and, and they were trying to steal, kill, or destroy me or my family or any of my possessions, Manny, all I would have to do is grab this shotgun and move to the inside of the very same door that they were trying to intrude upon. And as soon as they hear this, they would become keenly aware they've messed with the wrong house that night. As Anderson was speaking to me physically, the Holy Ghost started speaking to me spiritually, letting me know it's the sound we release from the inside of the house that lets the devil know you messed with the wrong church this morning. I may be defeated, but I'm not disarmed. I'm armed and dangerous. I've got a praise on my lips and I've got worship on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's within the world. Holy Ghost talking to anybody today. Now I can tell you my title. Because David grows up in a generation with no swords. On the day of the battle, only two people have swords. Saul and Jonathan. Millions of Israelites, two swords. I know how it feels to grow up with no sword. I grew up with no dad. No protector. Oh, but I want to encourage somebody today. When an earthly father's not there, your heavenly father is there. Oh, and he will never leave you defenseless. I I can relate to David. I can relate to David hearing stories of swords. We remember the day when we used to have swords. Can you you think about the, the stories they told around the campfire? Yeah, before the Philistines took all of our blacksmiths away and all of our swords away. And all of our spheres away. We used to see swords. They used to be common. Swords used to be around. They, I, oh man! And no, no. We don't even know anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who has a sword. The only person I saw a sword one time. King Saul was around, and his son Jonathan, and and I saw their sword. But 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 uh, we don't have swords, David. Uh, I I don't know what to tell you. I, I know you want a sword, but we don't have swords. Not only do we not have swords, we don't have blacksmiths. We, there's no one who can even make you. A sword. The Philistines came and they took away all the blacksmiths. So David grows up in a generation with no swords. And then one day he shows up to a battle and there's a giant. Without context, we've made this story about the giant. But the giant made a mistake. When the giant came out to taunt the armies of the living God, he should have kept his sword in his tent. Goliath stands up with a sword and says, come out and fight me. Oh, I'll feast, I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air. Anyone who comes out to fight me, oh, that will mean that our entire army has defeated all of you. And here's my title. It's what, in my imagination, David is saying on his side of the battle line walking back and forth I see it I see it everyone who's scared is saying yeah we see it too we see a giant named Goliath David goes no you don't see what I see you don't see what I see oh I don't see a giant (laughs) I see my sword that's my title for this message today I see my sword. I want to prophesy to somebody today and declare over your life, gone are the days where you see giants. We are going to declare over your life today that every giant that God has allowed to come into your life is actually an opportunity for you to upgrade your artillery and stop throwing rocks at people and finally get the sword that God has wanted to bless you with your whole life. We declare over your life today that the giant of depression is holding the sword of your joy, that the giant of anxiety is holding the sword of your joy, of your peace, that the giant of infertility. Oh, me and my wife walked through five years of infertility. We learned that the giant of infertility was holding the sword of our legacy. Now that we've placed the passage in context, maybe we've made this passage about giants when really the passage is about sword. David looks at Goliath and says, Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day. I see my sword. The title of my message today I want that to be a prophetic declaration over your life. I see my sword. Of course I can see a giant, but why would I see giants when I can see swords? The next time God wants to upgrade my weaponry, he's not going to Amazon Prime a sword into my life. No, he is going to send a giant that I need to kill so that I can get the sword that he's always wanted me to have. Now there's three swords in Israel. Saul got a sword, Jonathan got a sword, and I got a sword, baby. I got a sword, and the only question is, why is that giant holding it? Perspective, paradigm. I choose to operate in faith. I don't see giants. We know this. We know this. I give you context for how we know this. We know that David don't just have it out for giants. Story's not about giants. David's not just like, I got a vendetta against all giants. But to kill giants today. If it was about giants then we would have more stories of David using a sling and a stone but once he defeats Goliath he never uses a sling and a stone ever again because once God gives him a sword now I've got a weapon that I'm going to choose to use I've used the weapon that I had to get the weapon that I needed I use the weapon that I have my disposal to get the weapon that I have. I want to preach to somebody today because you've been complaining about the sword you don't have but you failed to use the sling and the stone that you do have. Baby if there's anything I learned from overcoming every generational curse that I've overcome is that most victims are complaining about what they don't have but they fail to realize that there's a field of opportunity around you that you have failed to capitalize on. Victims The mentality will keep you blind to the sling and the stone that you do have because you're so mad about the sword that you don't have i will use the weapon that i have to get the weapon that i need i may not have all the money i need but baby i got praise i'll use the weapon i have to get the weapon that i Oh, I may be in a depressive scenario right now. I may not have joy. I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength and one day joy will be my weapon. I may not have joy right now, but for a garment of heaviness, God said, put on a spirit of praise. I may not have joy, but I got praise and I'll use the weapon that I have to get the weapon that I need oh a heavenly prayer language is the weapon that i need i may not be filled to the capacity to speak in tongues today but oh baby i'll use the weapon that i have and i will give god a hallelujah and a thank you jesus until it turns into something else because i'll use the weapon that i have to get the weapon that i need david uses the weapon that he He gets the sling and the stone, he hurls it at Goliath. Now, I love this, because theologians say, scholars and theologians, I didn't learn this until I got into my doctoral program, theologians say that the stone that David hurls at Goliath is actually a very, very highly effective projectile weapon. Like, this is, this is, there were advanced soldiers that used slings and stones, and that this would be the equivalent of a major league baseball player pitching a baseball at your face going 90 miles 95 miles an hour so david ain't playing david's playing zero games Catch him in a field singing some songs if you want to and think you can roll up on David. He will fold you in half, okay? David, come on. And let's break some stereotypes. We can be men that know how to worship and praise and be men who know how to handle our business and give the enemy a run for his money. Can I get an amen in church? David's a dude. A dude. Imagine somebody breaks into my house, and I'm in my bedroom with my wife, and I go, Ah! Baby, you get him! And she got to go downstairs and grab the shotgun. That sounds funny, but that's how a lot of us do church. You let your wife out sing you. You let your wife pray harder than you. You let your wife be more biblically literate than you. You stand next to her while she worships and you think it's enough just because you came to church we don't just need you to come to church homie we need your voice we need you to step up and lead we need you to be the man of god that god has called you to be our nation needs strong men we need to get back to the place where it is masculine to lift up your voice and give god a shot of praise can some men in the room give god some praise in the place Let's go. Who told you it was feminine to worship? Who told you that? Who lied to you? Worship's the most masculine thing you can do. That in my notes. Come on. I feel that. You know how many men I've pastored that say, my wife should just be happy I'm coming to church. It ain't enough to just come to church, homie. You better have a prophetic vision for your family. Stand on the wall like a watchman and pray over your children and anoint them. They need your voice. The first sin of Adam is not to abuse a woman. Our culture has lied to us and said that the thing that men do that's wrong is to abuse women. That's not the first sin of man. The first sin of man is to stand there silent while the enemy abuses his wife. The first sin of man is silence. The thing that the enemy wants to do is to muzzle you and mute you and make you silent. Your children need your voice. Your church needs your voice. Your wife needs your voice. God needs your voice. We declare, Power is coming back to your voice whether you're an introverted man or an extroverted man there's power in your voice whether you're charismatic in your personality or laid-back in your personality there's power in your voice worship ain't a personality type worship ain't a denominational expression worship is you choosing to use the voice you have as a man for a kingdom assignment and a kingdom purpose I need a good amen in church Hey. So David uses the weapon that he has. Slur, 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 like, gets the sling, gets the stone, and hurls it at Goliath's face. 95 miles an hour, Major League Baseball. I mean, th- think about this. This is not a trick question. If, if a baseball's coming at your face 95 miles an hour, and it hits you in the forehead, and you die, you should fall, back. the kids are like, duh. <laughs> They on it. I don't know what y'all do. <laughs> y'all sleeping? <laughs> Come on, you should fall what? Backwards. Backwards. But David's a worshipper. Oh, David's a worshipper. He's dedicated his whole life to worship, to praise. David is a worshipper. He's a worshiping machine. He worships out of his clothes. I don't know if you ever tried that. You shouldn't do that at church. If you want to worship out of your clothes, you do that at home. Just worships up out of his clothes, says, I'll be even more indignified than this. I mean, David is unhinged in worship. I mean, he's passionate about the presence of God. And, and, but the Bible says that Goliath doesn't fall backwards, that Goliath falls forward and face down because anybody can make a giant fall. Only a worshiper can make a giant worship. want anxiety to fall i want anxiety to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords i don't want depression to fall i want depression to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords because philippians chapter 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is the lord maybe the giant has been sent into your life to become a billboard for god's glory This is the secret of worship. That God, if I take care of your praise, I believe you'll take care of my problems. If I take care of your glory, I think you'll take care of my giant. See, so often we frame the battle as it's us versus the giant. It's me versus anxiety, me versus depression, me versus cancer, me versus infertility. Three years into me and my wife's infertility journey, I remember the Lord saying, why have you made this battle yours? The battle is not between you and infertility. It's between me and infertility. So how about you start blessing parents? I took over all Father's Day festivities for the whole church. My wife took over all Mother's Day festivities for the whole church. Anyone who understands infertility knows that the most triggering day of the year is Mother's Day and Father's Day. So me and my wife took what should have been a negative and turned it into a positive because, ooh, ooh. I want to teach you the principle. Why were we blessing parents? We're blessing parents because you cannot go where you refuse to sow. You think that you have a directional problem, you have a seed problem. We live in a culture that only wants to give when there's a need. Oh boy. So we'll only give to projects that help with people who are poor. But if all my money goes to people who are poor, then that means I'm not directing my money in the direction that I actually want it to go. I have to give to people who are wealthy. Why? Because I cannot go where I refuse to sow. Oh boy. See this is uncomfortable. You can feel butt-cheeks clench. God says this, be fruitful and multiply. In Hebrew, that's not just be fruitful and multiply. It's this, be fruitful, then multiply. The enemy's goal is to just get you to focus so much on multiplication that you stop being fruitful. Be fruitful. Take care of God's glory. Be fruitful god i'm gonna have joy peace i'm gonna be a fruitful individual and if i'm fruitful you'll handle the multiplication you'll handle the giant you'll handle the problem you'll handle the goal i'm trying to reach if i can stay focused and give this battle to you come on who am i preaching to today you've seen giants but today you're fixing your vision you going to start seeing swords come on who am i preaching to you walked in discouraged because there's giants in the land the land wouldn't be worth taking if there weren't giants in the land come on as we build jerusalem hub guess what there's giants in the land (laughs) if there weren't giants in the land that'd be proof that the land ain't valuable but we are not just giant killers we are sword stealers in this room today there's a weapon that God has for you. I want to give you an invitation and then I'm gonna pray for you because your pastor has told me to do this here we go you know what I would love to do I would love to help you put the Bible in context context so often we think that as long as I've got the Holy Spirit I can just read it how many people you've tried to do like I'm gonna read the Bible this year you got to Leviticus chapter 3 and was like, next year, next year, next year. I'm just gonna do this next year. We created a platform that's A, super affordable and super accessible. I take seminary level content and I make it like entertaining and engaging and easy to understand. We started this platform in 2020. I, I thought it was a COVID hobby. I just started with nothing. I made some kids in the youth group come film me teach and we were doing it for the young adults that were in our church. And right now, there's over 3,000 subscribers who all pay us $13 a month to learn the Bible. Don't invest in Netflix and Hulu, YouTube premium, Starbucks, and then expect everything in church to always be free. That means you've placed a higher standard. Please, you don't ask the world to give you nothing for free. It's funny, because one time, one time, I'm over time, so I got to say this fast. One time, my dad, he came to church. He struggled with drugs his whole life. Came to church, Pastor Lyle, and he was like, the pastor took up the offering, and my dad was so mad. My dad went around to the back, saw my pastor's Mercedes Benz, and my dad said, that's why I don't give you no church. See, the pastor got a Mercedes. I ain't giving to no church. And I, I was 13 at the time. I shouldn't have said this, but. I said, Dad, the drug dealer in our neighborhood also drives a Mercedes. That you paid for. Bro, you, dr- you buy so much crack that if the drug dealer only had you as a client, he would still have a Mercedes. How is it? How? If- what kind of hypocritical spirit? I was like, you know what I've never heard anybody say? I just can't afford this weed, yo, inflation. What? Never. Nobody ever said, Nobody ever. This weed, man, is just too expensive, man. I'm going on strike. (laughs) My dad started tithing that day. My dad started tithing that day. He was like, You got a point. It's a whole tangent. (laughs) I paid like 50 grand for my degree from college, but I decided we're going to make this platform 13 bucks a month. And we're going to make it super super accessible but here's the real sacrifice it's going to require 12 minutes of your time every day right now there's about 40 courses on our platform every single month we add a new course our course on women in ministry is stellar our course on homosexuality is incredible we have a pentecostal leaning we're pentecostal through and through but we believe in historic orthodox confessional christianity you're going to get a conservative theological perspective on the scriptures. And I'd love to give you context for what you're reading. So, oh, the QR code's up there. I want you to do this. Our courses are about three hours long, but we break every single course into 12-minute segments. Can you commit to, like, 12 minutes a day? I prom- I'm going to make you laugh. It's going to be easy. You, you learned a lot today. Yeah. Learned a lot today. Learning is, is not supposed to be intimidating. I'd love to help you learn the Bible. You can scan that QR code. For anybody who subscribes today, I'll give you a free gift from the Arma team to you. This book is uh, by A.W. Tozer, it's called The Pursuit of God. And it's just a gift that I'd wanna give you. It's a fantastic book. It's a classic, it's a Christian classic. If you subscribe to Arma today, all you have to do is get signed up on your phone, have the confirmation ready as you leave church, flash the confirmation at us, and we'll hand you a book. Inside of the book will also be an insert with our recommendation for the first eight courses you should take, okay? And so everybody typically asks us, where should we start? And so we just created an insert so that you can understand exactly where you should start. Who's in? Who's like, you know what, Pastor Manny? I'm in. 13 bucks a month, 12 minutes a day, I'm in. You got me. Scan the QR code. Scan the QR code. Get signed up. Let's pray. We declare right now for every giant, that the enemy is assigned to your life there's a sword that God has assigned for your life we take authority over your eyes and we declare that this sermon title today is a prophetic declaration over your life you will see your swords With the enemy has blinded you from all of the opportunities we declare over your life that there's opportunities all around you and that your best days are ahead of you if you walked in here discouraged we hope that we've preached courage back into you we declare that from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet that no giant has authority no generational curse has authority we release you to walk into the fullness of your identity and we speak a blessing over your life today god i ask that every person under the sound of my voice if there's a giant that they can identify i ask lord god that you would show them in the spirit the sword that that giant is holding we speak a blessing over this church god we thank you that legacy church is the most fruitful church in the area god i ask for a that unity wouldn't just be the theme for the conference but that you would knit us together with cords of love that cannot be broken god we ask that there would be unprecedented unity in the next season of the church god we thank you god we thank you for everything you're doing and we pray for this next service is about to come in here God, we thank you that the same transformation that's happened in this service, that the power of the Holy Ghost would hit the next service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, and we all stand together. Amen, amen, amen. tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.